are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Intricate, explosive, virtuosic. The music of Chinting Patrick Chan stems from an interest in representing his impressions of the visual world with sonic images. It is often inspired by patterns and shapes he discovers in daily objects, as well as imaginary landscapes he sometimes encounters. He received his DMA degree from the University of Missouri at Kansas City, and he currently teaches as assistant professor of music composition at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. So I wanted to talk today about uh, three of your pieces, and we're going to start off with a piece called Drift, and mm-hmm. it's for alto saxophone and harp. And you you said in your notes about this piece that it was inspired by a uh, a Chinese painting, right? Uh, Shan Shui, mm-hmm. which is which means I my, I mean my Chinese is terrible, but I'm guessing it means something like mountain water or mountain stream. Something was like actually that? really good your Chinese. Yeah, it sounded really oh, good. Oh well, <laughs> uh, it's it's basically it's like landscape painting, um, but in Chi- Chinese style. And this is it depicts scenery or natural landscapes of old China, and it uses brush and and ink. So, um, how how did this particular like how did you find this particular painting, or or why was this inspiring to you? You know that w- wasn't really a a particular painting that I was trying to depict. It was sort of the style that of painting mm. that inspired me. Um, the Shanshui kind of painting that uses brushes and uh, and uh, water and ink mm-hmm. and also the motions of um of painting how it sort of drift sort of drift out drift, drift upward and downward sort of that motion um inspired the, the music you know i was i was looking at your at your website and i was kind of um you you have some like pictures of your travels on on your website and i found that you went to uh yangshuo and uh guilin and that was uh-huh. a couple of years ago right yeah that was a couple of years ago so i just recently took a trip there as well and and this that trip was happened before you uh you wrote this piece drift so did that experience of going um, going to Yangshuo, did that factor into this piece as well as the the style of painting? Yeah, it did. It, it was a couple of years ago, but I'm I I've always been very fascinated with the um, natural landscape in China and um, how painters depicted them differently. If you have a um, sort of a Western painter painting um, Chinese landscape, that would be a complete different story than a Chinese painter painting that. Right. So it's the style of, of painting that kind of landscape that really fascinated me to um, write this piece. For those, I mean, for the listeners who, who have no idea what we're talking about by Yangshuo and Guilin, there are two cities um, in southern China which have um, really, really beautiful mountain like mountains surrounded or mountains surrounding a river that you know you can take a cruise down and uh it's uh it's really good if you want to see pictures go to patrick's website to to look at his pictures of them so in yuanshuo um that you have these really really strict uh really steep sort of mountains that if you remember the movie avatar 
they actually, <laughs> I think they filmed it there and sort of chopped up the bottom. You remember those oh. like flowing mountains? Uh huh. I think that's where they filmed it. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, why did or how did this combination of instruments come about? Alto saxophone and harp. Uh, it was a commission. <laughs> <laughs> well that's an easy answer right there yeah um it was but it's not yeah. yeah so it's not a you know obviously it's not a standard um although i do feel like i know of one ensemble that uh that is saxophone and harp that has that has commissioned quite a bit so where did the commission come from oh then you You've got to tell me about the ensemble. <laughs> yeah. The, the commission as a camp came from a friend who is in Hong Kong sort of organizing concerts. And um, he happened to have two musicians playing in that concert, playing a variety of, I think, solo pieces. And it happened to be a saxophonist and a harpist. So he asked me to write a piece. And um, I said, yes. So what uh, for a piece like this, where you where you have the inspiration of the of the Chinese painting, what is what is your process of writing like for the, for this? I mean, do you do do you do uh, extensive pre composition, or are you are you kind of just taking taking all you can from from the the painting or the the painting style that's inspiring you? See, a lot of the time, I'm not even sure I, I do any pre-composition, but I do take a lot of the time just thinking about the piece, um, thinking about how I would want to approach the piece. Usually it took a couple of weeks or a couple of months before I actually start writing. So um, before I started, I looked at a bunch of ancient paintings and sort of thought, sort of thought about what I wanted to achieve in this piece. And it just sort of inspired the the composition of it. Mm -hmm. And in this piece particularly, actually I was trying to work on something that sort of resembled um, sort of more Eastern philosophy. Uh, I was trying to do, well, it, it's a multi-movement piece. It's five movements. So I was trying to trying to create sort of a structure that it's like a Japanese Pentagon garden. It doesn't go so directional like romantic music. It, mm -hmm. it sort of spin one back and forth between the movements and you don't sort of, you don't really sometimes hear where the piece is leading you to, but it always sort of go around and sort of in one big sort of circular motion. Does that mean that these five movements are, in a sense, standalone, but also connected through material? I think so. I think these pieces could be standalone pieces. You might even be able to play them in different orders, I think. I, uh -huh. I didn't, when I was composing, I didn't really, I w didn't really have the end in sight. I was trying to sort of reuse a lot of the materials back and forth, back and forth, and then sort of like, it's like the motion of painting, painting, shanshui painting. It's like going going forward and then backward a little bit, forward and then backward a little bit. Awesome. So uh, who are the who are the two mus musicians we're going to hear on this recording? 
Uh, they are Judy Ho playing the harp, and then Masanoi Oshi on the alto saxophone.
Let's move on to uh, your piece Falling Stars for Wind Ensemble. And your description of this piece in the program notes is kind of half science and half mythology. <laughs> so do those do those kind of two forces uh, kind of tug at you as an artist? You know, honestly, I was just trying to, I was really just trying to find something to write about in the program notes. <laughs> Just like a lot it's of so often poses. what program notes become it's like oh i gotta yeah, put something you down, gotta right? put something to sort of sort of to guide the listener um, right you know but a lot of the time I, I i think i wasn't really thinking so much of falling stars when i was writing it i really i really just had two months to finish the piece and i just had to rush through <laughs> it and then i came up with the title and sort of find um sort of try to find a connection there yeah i guess my answer for it isn't very interesting <laughs> well it's actually good because i i was i have to admit that after listening to this piece a couple times i really couldn't find a connection with the title okay or or the language you used about the work i mean i really i really like it as an abstract work but uh-huh. i was like what am i missing here yeah. you know so okay well that's good i like that um uh i w- i wanted to say that i really really loved the kind of diversity of wooden percussion sounds in this piece. And I think that, you know, for composers, especially when you're writing for wind ensemble, because you have possibly anywhere from, you know, four to eight players, you know, percussion players in a wind ensemble, um, depending on, you know, how large it is and what, what the ensemble has available to it. But sometimes just choosing that percussion palette to, to work with can be, kind of daunting mm-hmm, because right. you have you have everything available but i thought your palette was very well constructed so how did you how did you decide on the percussion instruments that you did decide on i think i wrote most of the percussion parts after i finished the whole piece okay but i did come up with um a legend for the percussion well most of the instrument that i wanted to write for and put them into a legend, sort of in the middle of composing the piece. So I sort of know what kind of sound I had. And then towards the end of finishing writing all the notes, I started adding all the percussions. I think that's how it came about. You had uh, xylophone, you had marimba, you had wood blocks, you had temple, uh, I think temple blocks. Mm-hmm. And it was all... and. I just thought there you it was good because you didn't do too much with um uh, let me say that again you you didn't use too many different percussion instruments and it wasn't too loud for the piece mm-hmm. you know it just it kind of because the rest of the piece the the winds have these like really short uh short gesture well not short gestures but short notes within kind of uh longer longer gestural ideas 
And I thought that the the wooden percussion really spoke to to that. It like they it melded the the percussion world and the wind world together really nicely, just based on articulation. Why、mm-hmm. right. a lot of the time with the pitch percussion, I try to、um, sometimes I try to double what the wind have so that it rearticulates and sort of、um, articulate the timbre with with the wind instrument and sort of add add to it、um, with the With the non-pitch percussion, however, I try to use them as more,、um, more rhythmic, rhythmic sort of、um, drive to help with the shape of the piece. So I played in wind ensemble and band at while I was an undergraduate at BG, and I played、oh, really? in bands throughout high school. And I have to say that that experience kind of killed the ensemble for me in a way. And I thought that this, and I, and I've heard a lot of wind ensemble pieces since, but I thought this was a wind ensemble piece that made me yours. It made me think that the ensemble might have something that I can explore as a composer.、Oh. So, what is what has your experience been with the wind ensemble, and how did you approach writing? For it in this piece, was this your first wind ensemble piece?、Uh, this is my second wind ensemble piece. I did not、okay. grow up listening to wind ensemble music at all. Well, right. We don't, we don't really have. I don't think we have a professional wind ensemble in Hong Kong. We we have orchestras, but、uh, the wind ensemble is very much American. I、right. didn't didn't get any exposure to it until I came to the states. And of course, I did not play in a wind ensemble. I play in the orchestra. I play violin, and、mm-hmm. um, I was sort of reluctant to write for the wind ensemble when I first started composing,、um, when I was an undergrad, and even when I was doing my masters in Bowling Green, because I I wasn't really sure how to approach approach it, because I don't really have the wind ensemble sound in my head. And then、um, I started writing my first wind ensemble piece、um, two years ago. It was a commission from Washburn University, and it actually took me a year to finish the piece. And it was really a struggle. It was very difficult because I just, I just didn't know how, how to write for it. I don't, I didn't know how to orchestrate. I did did not、right. really know how to do it. So I I started listening to all the wind ensemble repertoire and all that. And then I discovered that it just did didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> it did not help at all. <laughs> so、um, I sort of, you know, finished the first couple minutes and then pulled it off for a couple months. And when I we started it, when I came back to work on it, I try not to listen to any any wind ensemble literature and just just white. You know, whatever that came to my head, and that sort of, that sort of worked out. And then this one, this commission,、um, I only had two months time, and I did not really. And I also try to avoid, you know, listening to the repertoire. Also, and try、yeah. to just write whatever came into my head, and、um, it. I think it, it it works out. It's more. It it doesn't have the typical wind ensemble. Doubling that you would expect, yeah. It's more. Well, it's almost it's, like a chamber piece, but it's much yeah, bigger. 
It's interesting that you say that listening to the repertoire did not help because my what like the thing that I was going to say about this is that the reason that I like it is that you don't do the typical band things, mm-hmm. you know, those like these big fat chords and you know mm-hmm. like just these long sections of kind of timbral alteration on a single chord through through different orchestration and like i said before you don't overdo the percussion i mean it's it does have this it's a band it, well it's a wind ensemble piece that has an intimacy about it and that's why i think i like it so much is because it doesn't it doesn't try to be like a marching band in a stadium mm-hmm. which i find <laughs> that so many so many wind ensemble pieces in the repertoire that's like that's that's immediately what you go to you're like oh i've got these you know 40 40 players or whatever that all play loud instruments let's just make it loud Boy. and it's like <laughs> yeah so so that that yeah i mean i think that when i'm when i'm working on pieces too i really don't do a lot of listening as well you know it's, i i guess it's to in a way it's to try and keep my keep my ideas more pure in a way like not to get contaminated by uh what other people have done but at the same time you know you, you have to listen to at least a little bit of music i guess right well sometimes i i would i'll try to if i write an orchestra piece i'll try to listen to more chamber pieces or if i write write a chamber piece i'll write white white a piece that has different instrumentation so you don't get um so affected by by um what's already out there yeah absolutely so um who was the wind ensemble that you worked with for this piece uh that is for the ball state university wind ensemble okay and when when did you get that job is this are you ending your first year right I am now or ending my year? first year ending your first year yeah. all right mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's that's great that you've already that you've already written something for for the a university ensemble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when did they when did they premiere the work? Uh they play it at the CBDNA National Conference in Kansas City. That was in uh, mid March, and that's what we are hearing right now. Thank you. 
I did want to ask about China, though, because the the first two pieces, even if it was you know just just to have something to talk about, you did you know you were in some way inspired by China in the first two pieces pieces, or at least like Chinese ideas or extra musical material.、Um, and the next piece we're going to talk about does not have any any sort of Chinese reference. Mm-hmm. Um, in it. So you grew up in Hong Kong.、Mm-hmm. Has China always been an influence, or have you have you kind of recently become more interested in China artistically since you've been away for a little bit? Uh, well, I, I grew up with it. Why、right? everything, you know, Chinese is embedded into、um, right. everything that I. I read everything that I saw on TV, so it's it's always been part of me. But I have never felt so compelled to really express it artistically in in my music.、Um, mm-hmm. I guess these two pieces.、Um, I was trying to think about what my you know first eighteen years I I was living in Hong Kong. Uh, how how it、uh, influenced me as a composer now. So would you say that it's it's a kind of nostalgic thing you're exploring, but it's not necessarily tied into your artistic identity? Yeah, a lot of the time when I write music, I don't. I, I'm inspired by all kind of things. A lot of the time, visual things. And it doesn't、mm-hmm. really have to be Chinese. It could be,、mm-hmm. it could be a、um, an object. It could be a landscape. It could be a a visual concept.、Um, mm-hmm. In these two pieces, it just so happens to be Chinese influenced. Got it. I want to ask this question. I might cut this out anyway, but I want to ask this question, and it's kind of a hard question because I don't want it to come off as. Like insensitive, but I guess it's been on my mind because, based on my observations of just being over here and engaging with other other Chinese composers and other composers who have come from China, and then gone to you know gone elsewhere,、um, it seems like to me, with my experience, Chinese composers often find inspiration. From their own culture in their music, and that's regardless of whether they live in China or not.、Mm. And as I mean, I'm an American, but America or American culture is rarely the subject of inspiration for a piece for me.、Mm. I mean, there are there there are obviously those composers. In America, who draw heavily from the culture, you know, they use folk songs, or they, they, you know, their music is about different stories from, from America. And of course, each composer is an individual, and when we start grouping individual artists together, it's trouble. But you know, this is definitely a trend from Chinese composers that I've seen that I don't think I've seen with the same level as, say, Americans.、Hmm. And just, and that's just because that's the country. You know, I know, I know. The composition world better just because I I come from there, 
And so it sounds like you're on the you're on the opposite side of that, that, you know, um, it's not like it's not really tied into your identity. You're inspired by just what's around you. And if that happens to be China, that that's what it is. If that happens mm-hmm. to be a painting or, or, or whatever. But do you I mean, have you also seen that trend or or no? Yeah, I have. It It is true. And um, I I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> older generation Chinese composers had has had, had they had success you know um, depicting Chinese culture when they're writing western music yeah and that mm-hmm. had been a lot of the music had been attractive to westerners because it sounds different and right could be a vehicle for for attracting listeners I think but um. Yeah, let's leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I take your meaning. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just something that I've never I've never really understand because I've never really thought America has been such a huge part of my artistic identity, and you know, I having having been in China for four years, I've certainly been inspired by the things around me, just as when I was in America, I was inspired by the things around me, you know, what regardless of what they were, you know, and and I it's it's just like I I just don't go out of my way to tell people I'm American by my music. And I don't think you go out of your way to tell people you that you're from Hong Kong by your music either. Mm-hmm. Which is why like I had such a such a hard time like finding the the you know connection to the title with falling stars because you were talking about chinese mythology and i was just like this is just really good abstract music it doesn't scream you know one culture versus another to me Mm -hmm. it doesn't sound chinese it doesn't have that stereotypical chinese sound that you know we've come we've come to know Mm -hmm. by by so many composers you know using that in their in their music, you know, mm-hmm. like I was in uh, I was in Taiwan last uh, last June, and I was working with a a, a Chinese ensemble. Um, I had a, I had a piece, and they were also doing this kind of reading session with a bunch of young composers um, for all Chinese instruments. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I think I listened to about thirty different pieces or something. Just just a reading session, but. But at the end of it, you know, I couldn't tell them apart because they were all doing the exact same thing. All of these like very stereotypical Chinese gestures mm-hmm. on Chinese instruments. And it's like, okay, I'm, there's there's got to be something else you can do with these instruments, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, so. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's it's the stereotype. The stereotypical sound with you know the pentatonic and going through different scales, different keys and all that, that just doesn't isn't very interesting to me. Uh, the sound yeah. isn't very interesting to me. But maybe in a future piece, I will find them fitting. But um, well, let's talk me. about let's talk about this next piece, time unfolding. Sure. Because this this obviously is a sound that is interesting to you. Mm-hmm. And before we get into the piece, I just want, I'm just going to take a guess. And I, I just want you to tell me about what you think about Pierre Boulez. <laughs> I really like his music. 
especially was that a good guess? Uh, yeah, very good guess. <laughs> especially right. after the seventies, yes. Yes, after the seventies is when he really hits a stride. I I uh, think. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of Boulez as well, and um, it's very strange. I, I really came around to his music because when I was a master student at Arizona, I really did not like it. And I think it was because I was only exposed to his music in the 50s. The so-called more important works, right? Y- yes, ex- exactly. The, the, of course, the works you learn about in school because they are easy to teach and they were landmarks in a certain way, but that doesn't mean they're great pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once uh, I'm, I'm actually thinking of a piece like uh, Ray Pons. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean that when I heard that piece, that just kind of changed my my view of him as a composer, and I just I just completely fell in love with all of his music, you know, post like nineteen seventy, like mm-hmm. like you say. So was that was he in particular a composer that was inspiring to you for for this piece, Time Unfolding, or some of his? some of his methods or, or just yeah, just tell me about that his music um yeah it was very inspiring at the time i was listening to a lot of Boulez and some other composers as well like Luz- Luzaswalski uh, and mm-hmm. some other composers and um also his methods of uh serialism especially his more post serialist um style of using uh sets using multiplication sets and all that um, was fascinating to me. Yeah, in a way, like that. His, uh, I, I, I've always kind of wondered if, and he might have written about this. I just haven't read it, but I, I was always kind of wondering, like, if the, you know, the multiplication th- uh, thing that he did with serialism, if that was somehow like coming out of the electronic music studio in a way. Because I mean, I'm thinking about you know working with Max right now, and it's just mm-hmm. all it's all math based. I mean, I suppose that at the time, you know, you have composers like Milton Babbitt and 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 others who are who are you know mathematicians first, and then they come to composing. So it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that it was maybe inspired by the mathematics behind all the developments in uh, electronic music because it's. You know, with multiplication, it's all about the numbers, but you mm-hmm. end up having a sound world that is that represents the the original sets that you have, and that really right. makes sense musically. You're creating sound worlds, and then you are creating different, um, different um, sort of like different keys and progressions within the multiplication sets. You're moving from one set to another multiplication of sets and to other sets. So that's sort of, I think, I think um, sort of we sample, we sample um, computer music to me, uh, a mm-hmm. lot of mathematics. You talked about um, aleatoric passages in this, in this piece, and you also, I think there might have been some moments in the Wind Ensemble piece that you, you utilized aleatory. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yes. So is chance something that kind of often factors into your music? Uh, I a lot of the time I use what we call chance um, as devices to uh, to create texture, just like what Ludaswski did in uh, the 
in the 1960s with the Venetian game, right? You mm-hmm. have a texture that um that you try to achieve with um sort of um the chance operations. You kind of leverage. I mean. Y- even though Boulez did at one point, you know, I'm thinking of the third piano concerto, or the concerto, the third piano sonata, um, where he did, he did kind of a, you know, a choose your own adventure through mm-hmm. that, through that piece. Wow. Although with, I think with Ludoslavsky, he, you know, or someone like Earl Brown mm-hmm. or, or, you know, composers like that, they are really, you know, it's going to be different every every single time and like could could be vastly different mm-hmm. um so you kind of have these two two different um ideologies kind of tugging at you mm-hmm. again you know with the with the really strictly written out music and the and the and the chance mm-hmm. or or at least aleatoric pr- procedures mm-hmm. yeah i'm not too big of a fan of indeterminacy where you're leaving the structure um of the piece to the performer i'm often mm-hmm. very um scared of that <laughs> so, <laughs> so in my talk section i always have the structure in mind i have um it's basically it's extremely controlled but within the control structure you can sort of play around with the overlapping how the of how the how the how the pictures are overlaps um and every time you play it's slightly different but not very very different right you're talking. I mean, you just mentioned the word control, and you talk about this piece being about uh, time being unfolded um, through the shape and the movement of ma- of the material. Mm-hmm. And is there is there kind of a deeper background scheme for how time unfolds, or or rather, how are you controlling the listener's perception of time? I guess I can talk a little bit about the piece. Um... With the whole piece, I have a um, preformed chord progression where um, in the first section, you have the whole chord progression going slowly. You have maybe the first, I don't actually remember, but maybe the first eight measure is the same chord. But you are sort Mm -hmm. of of having these instruments re-articulating those pitches over and over and over again. And then after you go through this chord, the, the, the chord progression sort of is condensed. So, so the chord progression goes faster. And then it's distributed to the instrument differently. So every time it condenses or, or, or expands, your, your perception of the, the progression of the chord progression, well, actually your perception of the how how fast the chord moves is different so mm-hmm. so i guess that's um that's says something about the time being unfolded yeah you're controlling it with well kind of with harm yeah you're controlling it with harmony i'm just as harmony just as you know, in you know, say a Mozart piano sonata, you you have areas of of relative stability, and then mm. you you move towards instability, and then yeah, so that's that's kind of a, a classic approach to to controlling time. Yep. I would say exactly like that. Time tested, you know. Mm. <laughs> don't, don't mess with what works, right? <laughs> yeah, don't mess with what works. <laughs> so, with with 
a piece that has you know you're you're doing all kinds of serial procedures and multiplication and and I'm just wondering how do you maintain energy while you're composing in this in this manner I mean I've done this kind of work before and it just drains me of energy like I I kind of burn out on on working so fast what do you so, mean by mad energy you you mean composing energy yeah, exactly. Like I, I work for an hour or so and then I'm like, ugh, I'm spent. I can't do anymore. You know, so I guess uh, more more so recently, I guess, because the the pace of composition when I've done a piece that that uses uh, ideas similar to to this, the pace of composition is so slow that an anxiety comes with that kind of work because I'm getting so little done in a in the very little time I have to write to you know write the piece. So do you kind of have a like a mental strategy that comes along with this method of working or is this just easy for you to do this? No, I'm 100% in agreement with you. It is extremely okay. difficult and it is extremely taxing on my brain. <laughs> it yeah. takes a tremendous amount of brain power. So usually I write 15 minutes and then I have to take a break. I just have to take a break for at least 10 minutes and then I go back to write. Um, okay. I would spend a whole afternoon writing music, but uh, probably half of the time I, I spend on taking breaks. That's a, you know, I, I hadn't really, I hadn't really considered that because that, that is good. You know, you just like, you work a little, you, you kind of pepper in your work mm-hmm. and you do it, yeah. Just little by little. Just I'll have to try that. One note at a <laughs> because, time. Because <laughs> I have been wanting to kind of get back to to writing a piece that that kind of does this kind of stuff. I've been I've with the works I've been writing more recently, I've been trying to explore different ways of trying to get the sound that I want, which is actually kind of similar mm-hmm. to the sound uh, that you're you're getting in this piece, you know, mm-hmm. atonal, but you know, you still you still hear connections between all the different uh, materials you're using. So that's the sound I'm after. But I've just been trying to explore different ways to achieve that without actually having to sit down and do the you know the p- note by note, mm-hmm. you know. stuff so but that's 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 good a good strategy i'll have to i'll have to try that on the Uh on the next piece i work on so this piece was uh written for the uh the wellesley uh composers conference right Mm -hmm. yes and um was it uh on the recording that we're hearing is it from that performance as well that's from the recording section at wellesley yes
So the last question that I always ask uh, every composer who's on the podcast is, uh, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? Oh, that's a hard question, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why we always ask it last, you know. <laughs> so I didn't start learning music when I was young. I guess I started playing the violin when I was uh, maybe 13 and 14. But um, it wasn't very interesting to me because probably the teacher wasn't very good because all I was doing was memorizing the fingerings and I didn't really didn't really learn about music at all mm-hmm. until uh, undergraduate when I just started to pick up the piano. I just wanted to learn the piano by myself. Um, so I started learning uh, reading books and just trying to practice five, six hours a day, and then I just grew to really like it. And then um, I realized I probably couldn't become a pianist because did I did not start early. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I would never be able to make it. So, um, And I, I also realized that um, since I was young, I, I've always been attracted to this idea of creating something that is um, my own like mm-hmm. writing um, photography uh, things like that so I started to compose music and that's how I started to realize that um, I wanted to be a composer so you've always you've always kind of had a creative streak whether it you know just trying your hand at writing or like you say photography or something mm-hmm. i just thought it was so cool that you know as a composer you have like a photography section of your website <laughs> yep why not <laughs> <laughs> awesome well uh before we go can you uh can you tell us where to find your music or connect with you on uh, online uh, my website is www.jintingtran.com or I also have a um, SoundCloud page. Um, the username is jintingtran and also same with Facebook. Cool. Are you on Twitter? No. Uh, another another non-Twitter composer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much, Patrick, for doing this. Thank you so much for asking me. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.